Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. Welcome back, Amber. Thank you. Um, we're fresh back, still smoldering from the Haunted America Conference. We hope you guys have enjoyed all the interviews and talks we did there. I uh, know I did them. You and Bonnie were out floating around shopping and partying. There was not enough room at that table to squeeze all of our asses around a microphone and talk to people in there. If we had like maybe the center of the room and a round table, that could be an interesting thing for future podcasts. Like maybe we need to, well, we can't bring our own table because now you're talking about flying down there. Yeah, because I'm, we well, are miserable driving back. That 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 drive, and you know what? The thing it's about it's a long, it, boring drive from Detroit to Alton, or Illinois. In Alton and Alton to Detroit, also back and forth. There's nothing to see. Well, there's the International Museum of that Monster was, Truck that Hall was of weird. Fame. That was weird. No, it wasn't. It was cool as hell. It was cool, but it was a, an entire building not marked with anything. It was just a giant warehouse. We walk in. That was, some people yeah, that, stare at us. It looks like we're in a hall for a wedding. Yeah, I don't and know then what the people there that. aren't even familiar. It's like they don't even know there's a, a monster truck museum in the building. Well, that's what I got kind of pissy with the guy. I'm like, wait a minute, they make this be this huge deal on the internet. It was weird. We took the time to come. You know, I, I'm like, I told him, like, oh, I'm glad we didn't make a special trip down here because I, you know, we was it, thankfully it was like literally two minutes off of our our beaten path. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that off the path beaten whatever. I'm repeating you, but it. You went in, and then Bonnie and I thought, we're just going to go outside. We're not going to waste the $10 to walk around and look at a but monster was, truck that he's got, unsure of is maybe even back there. Yeah. So then you text us, like, within five minutes, and you're like, you better get back here. So I'm like, fine. So I give the guy a 20. He lets us in. And, yeah, there were a ton of cool cars. And they had there a, were... They had a nice exhibit for the monster trucks. It's, it's like they're building a car museum that's not really being advertised or... I don't know. It was weird. But they had the original Batmobile that was in the second Batman movie with Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. And they had, I think, the little weird duckmobile that Danny DeVito as the Penguin drove on. Uh, they had one of the Dukes of Hazard cars. What was that called? General Lee? And then yeah, they had, yeah, well, yeah. I think, well, I guess and there was multiple ones of these too, but they had one of the versions of the A-Team van, which that was kind of sweet. I wanted that. Yeah, and then a bunch of cool cars and random stuff and things. But and then yeah, this huge monster truck section. Yeah, which was awesome, and I was really happy I got to see. Scott all that was stuff. thrilled. I was thrilled to see all that. But that was really to me, yeah, coming back and forth from Alton to Detroit. We're all you know, it's always a bit easier going down there because we're excited and we're we're awake and we're good. And on the way back, it's always the same shit because we're tired from hanging out all weekend. And you know, we we, we had a few drinks. Well, too. we stay up the latest night. We, we stay we, up. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? No, everyone was having a good time. I, I have no idea. I don't know why we. There did was that. bad karaoke, and it was just we were having fun. I don't know why we did that. Um, I don't so, know either. Yeah, it was kind of a miserable trot drive back this year. And I got to say, Bonnie was a total trooper. She, she drove, drove the entire way. With me falling asleep like four times next to her. And I felt I was just in and out of consciousness the entire day. I was a wreck. <laughs> I, I mean, they, your Amber's like, what's wrong? Because I'm like, I don't want, because we, you know, we. I offered to sit in the back. Well, no, we, no, what, when we got to Bonnie's house and I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel like, it's only like 40, 50 miles like after that to get to where we're at here. Uh, where the studio's at and stuff. And I, like, I don't want to do this. And he was like, you've been sleeping all day. I'm like, I really didn't sleep back there. I just kind of, in between sweat bouts, <laughs> I just kind of went in and out of consciousness for a couple minutes and woke myself up with my own snore. <laughs> so I, 
I, in and out of consciousness. I, I, I didn't really sleep at all. I was a wreck. So we might we might be flying down there next year. And just you realize then you have to ch- uh, check the gear. I know. I and know. that whole I know, and we'll probably end up driving anyways. Maybe we just gotta get we have to get, get a better, a better car. We, get a better we can car. rent one. Yeah, we got we got to get a better car because yeah. we've been driving the last three four years down there. You know, in my, in, in the in my Chevy Sonic, my yeah. Chevy Sonic, and we're all a little too large for that. Yeah, and just that with our luggage and then the gear we bring now and it's stuff ridiculous. like that. It's 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 a lot of stuff. So, well, speaking of monster trucks, we kind of talked about a really interesting subject tonight, um, which is part of a, uh, this is like a two part show we're doing here, uh, and this is part one. And we spoke to a guy named Eric Shorey. Now. I have to point out before we go on with that, our dear friend and uh, pseudo son is in the <laughs> studio tonight. Mr. Keith, say uh, hi, Keith. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. And uh, you've been here sp- spending time with us for some ridiculous reason. I don't know why you want to stay in this house for that long, but you've been here because he wants to escape Florida. Yeah, yeah. You you've been you're from Florida and you hate Florida. Correct. Well, yeah. I'm I'm he's from, a Michi- he's I'm a Michi- from Michiganian. But yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I've been in Florida for a few years, and it's time to no longer be in Florida. So you've been hanging out with us, and I'm glad the timing was really good here um, with this because. The subject we were tackling here, at least in this first part of the show, uh, I, you know, we both found out that we kind of we both had a you know a love for professional wrestling growing up, right? Right. Um, it's one of the things that come came up in the show, and I want to point that out too. I think I think the fascination, I, the, the and it's like I said this too, like you know, I have just things that come in and out of my life all the time like little interests of, of things that I'll want to spend time with. And then I'll move away from that and go to something else. And wrestling is one of those things that, you know, once or twice a year pops in there and I end up watching some documentaries or reading some stories or articles or books. And I think that's what the allure for me now above anything is just this history of it, what actually happened in the back, you know, in the background of all these things all the it's it's interesting to find out like when you're a kid going oh my god look at all this glitz and glamour and all this cool stuff and these people are amazing and they're the top of their life and they're famous and they're and they're in perfect shape and it's usually a totally different story in the background well now as adults we're we're learning the subtext Mm -hmm. and i i at least for me and i you know i think the subtext um has become more interesting than the actual wrestling, yeah, and that's and that's yeah. become that's become a significant part of the industry. All the all the all the shoot interviews and the digging into you know, well, yeah, what was, I mean, what was really going on? That's why they're doing a documentary all the time on just they do all the separate wrestler documentaries. Like we brought a couple of those up during the show here, and I think those are just as compelling as sitting down and watching history unfold in front of you on Monday nights or whatever night they have wrestling on now. I don't really follow. That's the thing. I don't follow wrestling anymore. No, but I don't either. I, I go back to the, the stuff that I grew up on, and it is fascinating. And we talked about the Von Erich family. Uh, you know, for, and it's like, like I said, this is like a two-part show we're doing. Uh, this is the first part. We talked to a gentleman named Eric Shorey, who wrote a really great article on, uh, for Oxygen about the Von Erich curse. Um and we unearthed some pretty interesting stuff as a result of this talk. I came into this and and scheduled this thing 
with not really much of an intention to talk about anything really like paranormal or creepy or weird. It's just a very interesting story. And when I say the Von Erich curse, I don't necessarily mean some supernatural thing. I think a curse can be have a lot of different faces. And that's why I want to talk about this subject. And Eric was nice enough to chat with us uh, about the Von Erich family, the Von Erich curse, Jack Ackeson, the mate. The, is it man the patriarch? The man's the patriarch, right? Yeah. Right. I always mess that thing up. And and he did share, ultimately, one supernatural yeah. explanation. And we're going to get to that here in a couple of minutes. Enjoy our conversation about the Von Erich curse with Mr. Eric Shorey. thing here i go through like what i call these side hobbies things that i've i've had as a hobby i guess my entire life but there are things that i i kind of go away from briefly like you know just kind of take a break from sometimes and then i find myself coming back to them right and one of those like earlier this year was professional wrestling Growing up, and I know uh, you, you and I, Keith, talked about this today about all the the craziness back in those days and stuff. And um, it's something a few months ago that I kind of just started watching documentaries on again and started just reading on things because you know when I say professional wrestling, I'm not talking about contemporary professional wrestling. I'm talking about you know when we were young, uh, you know, in the late '70s, early '80s, when they called it big time wrestling and all these other names, and there was all these different uh, these different groups in the in, within the country, all these different territories, and it was all very uh, it was decentralized. Where you know now you only have a couple, like you know we got WWE and some other smaller ones maybe, but that's about it really. Again, I'm not an expert on that part of it. However, one of the stories that I fell back into that totally enamored me was the story of the Von Erich family, the wrestling family. Um, right, right. Five boys, technically six. We'll get into that, though. And it's one of those stories I came back to, and it got me thinking, you know, this is kind of an eerie story. And it's something I thought I'd like to talk about here on Ghostly Talk, right? So I kind of went out looking for somebody cool to talk to about this, right? And I started looking at articles and whatnot, and a recent article I read was by a gentleman named Eric Shorey, who was nice enough to join us here tonight. Uh, Eric, how are you tonight? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, good. To, yeah, good to meet you. By the way, this is for we've never we've been talking like on the chat thing a lot, but we uh, this is our first formal meeting here. So thanks again for taking the time out to chat with us about this for a few minutes. Yes, of course. Two of my favorite topics, death and pro wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I may ask you, like, what, what do you like? I mean, what brings you to pro wrestling? Like, I mean, as far as, especially the historic part of it, because, I mean, you, 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 obviously the Von Erich family, they're a part of wrestling history. Uh, what, what interests you about that piece of it? So uh, I kind of came to pro wrestling as, in, like, a weird, like, backdoor kind of way. Um, okay. 
I actually work in New York City nightlife, uh, and so I got very familiar, like, DJing in gay bars around Brooklyn and the city. Yeah. And I formed a trio of nightlife performers. It's me, uh, a drag queen named Lady Berica Andrews, and a drag queen named Ariel Italic. And we sort of accidentally fell into uh, making a YouTube show in which we review pro wrestling that started as a joke and has since become sort of seriously all of our careers really um, oh my god yeah it's it's very weird um what's but, the you youtube know, I've been channel a lifelong yeah. fan and uh it's it's just strange that it's it suddenly turned into like my whole life <laughs> um i i was not very familiar with the old school wrestling i w- i watched through the attitude era and when i was a little kid and then kind of picked back up in in college and now that i'm spending most of my life writing about wrestling or talking about wrestling, I have to go back and do a lot of the catching up that other lifelong wrestling fans kind of have in their blood. So the, the Von yeah. Erichs articles that I wrote for Oxygen were sort of um, me learning kind of along the way with the reader because I really did not know about this history at all. Yeah. And that's the one I was referring to was the Oxygen article that I saw. That was That's right. I saw that article. I read it. It was an excellent article, by the way. Uh, and that's Thank when I, I immediately uh, reached out to you on this. And uh, and as far as your YouTube channel is concerned, Amber, point, uh, plug that in. What's Can you give us your YouTube channel? We'd like to know what that is. Yeah, it's, uh, it should. I think you could just go to YouTube.com slash The Nobodies or something. Hold on. I'll see what the actual <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's right. Yeah, okay. YouTube.com slash The Nobodies, and you'll find it. So you did write this article, like, as we mentioned, the Oxygen, Oxygen article, and you did kind of talk about, and, and what I'm getting to here really is what's referred to in a lot of circles as the Von Erich Curse. Um, yeah, because as we know, and we're going to get to the details of this in a second, this family, this wrestling family, um, there was a lot of a lot of chaos along. Well, I think the chaos runs hand in hand with a lot of death in this family. Right. So I guess let, I guess we should just start at the beginning. Um, obviously, Jack Atkinson, who was he was a, he was a football player in Texas, uh, and I mean mm-hmm. we actually primed ourselves with a documentary on this also today. Uh, I know he actually was a you know he was trying to be a pro football player and he ran into some problem. He was injured, so he had to find something else to do for himself. Um, and if I'm and if, apparently I learned at the time, uh, like especially Texas state footballers, yeah, a handful of them like whether their football career worked out or not, ended up becoming pro wrestlers. There was a weird sort of football to pipeline at the time that was, it was just like a fairly common option for people who were considering pro football to just go hop over into pro wrestling. Well, I think a lot of guys, I think a lot of, even now there's a lot of football players, some of them that come out of, you know, maybe they didn't make it, they, they did college football and they may have been injured. And they yeah, said, I'm going to do wrestling. one now that is uh, in the WWE is named Mojo Raleigh, although he hasn't really, he hasn't been a, a kind of breakout star quite yet, but yeah. they were betting on it for a while. So, so Jack goes into professional wrestling and he, and he gives himself the name Fritz von Erich, uh, which mm. 
at the time, I mean, you could never pull this off now. <laughs> but I mean, really, it was more he was more of like a Nazi type sympathizer at the time. Um, the character kind of had that motif about him, like the German bomber type, you know, character, right? I know that wouldn't Well, it was more than just like a sympathizer. He was he was basically like an Austrian Nazi. He was in a tag team with uh, Walter Sieber, who was renamed Waldo von Erich, and they just uh, were fully Nazis in the ring and just big hiling all over the place. Oh um, I guess, you know, like the, the sociocultural context is different, and it, it wasn't quite as outrageous and horrific then. You know, the war was a little bit more fresh in people's mind, which you would think would make them more sensitive to it, but uh, I guess not. I don't know. Yeah, that's so weird. I mean, because, I mean, just seeing this before and then watching again today for a refresher, I'm like, this is insane. Like, if you did this now, obviously, you'd be tarred and feathered and thrown off the side of a mountain, which you should be. (laughs) I agree 100% with that. Uh, But that was the character. Now, one of the things I noticed, you know, about this character is, you know, he, he was famous for the Iron Claw. That was his thing. Fritz von Erich was famous for the Iron Claw, which from what I understood was more of like, it was more of a... That was more of a a martial arts type uh, move that he was doing. So it was kind of this weird cross-section of things where he was using different type. I mean, just that hold itself. It was a finish. It was a submission hold, basically. And that's one thing I noticed is it was kind of, it wasn't necessarily, you know, German-oriented or whatever it may be. But that's what really made this this family famous was the Iron Claw, which carried down to all the kids. Now... Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get this, and I, you know, I should know this stuff by now, Um, but his old, I guess let's start with the first kid, which was, which was Jack Jr. Uh, And he's not a main part of this story, but he died very young. I think he was like six or seven years old. And, and they were in Niagara Falls and freak accident. uh, Jack Jr. gets hit by, struck by, uh, he gets hit by a struck of lightning he falls, he gets hit by lightning, it stuns him, and he falls into literally a puddle of water and drowns in a puddle of, a puddle of water. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've never, I don't think there's, well, I mean, I'm sure it's happened to somebody else, but it's very rare you're going to see something like that happen. So this is, how sure. this, this is how this bloodline started, this second generation of this family started, was with his oldest child uh, passing away. Uh, and then moving along was Kevin Von Erich, if I'm correct. Yeah, Kevin Von Erich was, was his second ch- second son. And then David Von Erich. And then mm. Mike Von Erich. Uh, I'm sorry, no, that was David Von... See, I, I shouldn't have done this, I know. Do you, I'm going to get this screwed up. So there was David Von Erich, and I think there was Kerry Von Erich. Or, or was, it, was Kerry before, uh, born before Dar- David uh, Erich? Uh, it goes, Kevin was born in 57, David was born in 58, uh, Kerry was born in 60, Mike Von oh. Erich was born in 64, and Chris Von Erich was born in 69. I do not have that memorized. I pulled up the Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I should have done the same thing. So, obviously, there's, this, is a, this is a kennel of sons. Um, and basically, I mean... There's a long history of this and how, you know, world-class championship wrestling started, how Fritz von Erich built this empire, basically, him and his sons, who were the main attraction. But um, more or less what happened here was we just started noticing there was this, this, this line of deaths in the family. Obviously, right. we, we, mentioned, we mentioned Jack Jr., uh, Fritz's son, the, the, first, the first son, and... 
then, and I forgot the year, of course, David Von Erich was in Japan wrestling, and he was mm -hmm. found in his hotel room dead. Now, yes. I've heard two stories of this, There's a, and I know even Kevin Von Erich has said this too, that, uh, of course, I think one of the rumors or, or legends that was told was Bruiser Brody, another professional wrestler, found David uh, in his room, like more or less dead on his bed, and he flushed whatever narcotics were in the room in order to kind of save the guy's legacy. He didn't want him to look like a fool, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's important to remember the sort of historical context here where, like, at this time, while the Von Eriks were touring Japan, they were, like, ultra, like Elvis-level famous. Like, yeah. they had women throwing themselves at them. They had, like, this pristine all-American image, which is funny because, like, only moments ago we were talking about how uh, the, the eldest of the Von Eriks was a Nazi. But when his son started getting more into pro wrestling, they just sort of dropped that. And everyone just, like, forgot about it, which is kind of remarkable also. So then these boys get packaged as these handsome, muscular, you know, like, very libidinous, but also very yeah. sweet, all-American boys. So the idea of them having drugs on them, which they, you know, I, it's not libelous. Like, like you said, Kevin Varnerick has admitted drugs were involved in his death. Oh yeah. But, but the, the thought of them being associated with drugs would be so shameful that lots of people posited all kinds of cover-ups about it. The Japanese coroner officially, uh, used, said that David Von Erich's cause of death was acute enteritis, which is some kind of intestinal condition. That was the other There's story no that I heard. Drugs. Yeah, that was the other story that was said, was that he, he was having stomach problems before he flew over to Japan. And that he ignored it. Right. Yeah, he ignored it. He ignored the stubble, stomach problems, and then his uh, he died of heart failure because his intestines ruptured as a result right. of the condition. That was the other story we heard. Yeah, I've also read in a few sources that people thought he was bulimic, which, like, you know, I, I understand why people don't talk about that because there's yeah. still a ton of stigma around mental illness, specifically eating disorders, specifically eating disorders in men. So, and bulimia and anorexia are two of the most deadly, you know, uh, mental health issues that one could face. So, uh, you know, it's, it's possible it was some weird combination of the three. The drugs yeah. exacerbated, the bulimia exacerbated, the stomach condition. You know, we'll never actually know. No. And because of the legacy of pro wrestling, which, like, has a sort of long-standing tradition of ob obfuscating what happens behind the scenes, even the people in the know are likely to never admit it. No, I, I don't think so, because... I know this happened with Kerry also. I mean, and we're going to get to Kerry Von Eric too. Uh, he, there was a big cover-up with him. But this was David, though. We'll go back to David here for a second. So we lose yeah. David, right? Of course, um, the Yellow Rose of Texas. I mean, this guy was... I mean, and you really can't overstate this. We were, we were watching one of the documentaries today about this. And the sheer number of people that were just in love with this family. And like you said, they did have this image of these good, clean, you know, God-loving Texas boys who were hardworking and understood the value of a dollar. I mean, all the good traits a young American red-blooded boy should have, these young men had, right? Um, so right. that carried over. I mean, as far as a marketing strategy, Fritz von Erich, he made... 
they were huge. They were massive in that whole area. So, I mean, from what I understand, like the funeral, for example, it was like 5,000 people showed up to the funeral itself. They actually had to put speakers on the outside of the funeral so people could hear outside because they couldn't fit in the funeral parlor. No more people could get in there. Right. Um, and even more. Right. Go ahead, Eric. No, it's uh, what I was going to say is it's, it's, it's something I also learned while researching this article is that like much like the drug overdose is that um, a lot of wrestling people like pro wrestlers that uh, are still in the business now, you know, people who have done pro wrestling historians, sports writers, a lot of them in private had messaged me to tell me that so much of their image was just completely fabricated and that these boys were, you know, womanizing, incredibly stupid, uh, really like uh, troublemaking, um, like there was someone once told me a story of that they would often get lost on the way to the show, the wrestling show. And just like, instead of trying to find directions, just turn around and not show up. And so they no showed all the time. And yet somehow, because it was easier to believe because they're good looking blonde, white, that they were just angelic. The whole public just bought it anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's why I said, I mean, when, after this thing happened with David, of course, the, the fallout from that. And I'm, what they did was the parade of champions after that. That was the big thing where that was the big uh, contest where Ric Flair gave up the belt to carry Von Eric. That was the, the right. and that was the big show. And it was like, if you see the video from that, it's, it's incredible to see that because the amount of people that are there, it's like, it looks like they're a mile back in the stands. The entire, I think they said it was like 20,000 people sitting on the floor alone. And then the entire right. stadium where they were at was totally filled with people. So, I mean, everybody came to this thing. And that's where I know... Completely one of, unprecedented at the time as well. Like, wrestling was not 80s, 90s level popular. Like, this was out of control compared to what wrestling was at the time. Yeah. And I know one of the things that uh, Fritz von Erich, Jack, was accused of was he was accused of capitalizing on his son's death. Because I know that show made a lot of money. Uh, sure. I don't know if... That, I. It, maybe i don't <laughs> how do you accuse a person of that especially a person who's dead who right. can't defend themselves um but it's something that was something interesting to note from that so carrie gets the belt but i mean you know like this goes to what we we're saying before though that like wrestling the history of it stems from carny culture so it, it's not surprising that people would accuse him of trying to make money like off of anything because that's sort of what wrestling is a lot of the time it's a lot of just trying to fool people so if he's going to use his son's death to his advantage to make money that's like well within the sort of logic of pro wrestling where everything's a gimmick and everything's a work i mean this is someone who portrayed a nazi for a long time like it's not particularly surprising that he would try and make money off of this no and that makes perfect sense and you know when you say when you put it in those terms too i mean this is a spectacle it's a pure spectacle. I mean, people, I mean, I got to be honest, I, I, there was a time in my life, I'll openly admit it, when I was very, very, very young, mind you, that I, and I think we all may have went through this, you know, Keith, we're around the same age, uh, where I did think this stuff was real. I thought re- professional wrestling was real. And I, I will admit, it was like, 
the equivalent of finding out Santa Claus wasn't real when somebody finally leveled with me and said, dude, are you stupid? That's like totally fake, right? Uh, right. I mean, it was kind of crushing to a certain degree. So now when I see people watching the same, you know, they're watching the more contemporary shows and I'm not going to pretend like I know any of them. Um, I always say the same thing. I'm like, you know, that's all fake, but people still really enjoy it because it's a spectacle. It's something that's, right. it's, it's insane to watch. They keep pushing the envelope more and more and more, it seems like, with these things. I, I mean, sure. the, on an athletic and, I guess, dramatic level, too, the envelope's always being pushed. So it's simply just a spectacle. So when you put it in that framework, Eric, um, yeah, anything kind of goes. I mean, why not? Why not capitalize off of this thing? Um, but I th also, I want to say, too, to be clear, I think that... Um, this was a real tribute to the guy. I mean, the guy was obviously oh, loved totally. by many, and there was a lot of respect there for the guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of money to be made too. So that yeah, was. I mean, as with everything in wrestling, it's sort of a, a very interesting combination of completely cynical and um, quite earnest. Yeah. So that was David Von Erich. Um, now, moving along here. Um, I mean, Kevin Von Erich, I mean, he did mention, we already mentioned that on the line here. But the next one to go, I guess we'll just go like death to death here. Now, yeah. Mike Von Erich, he broke his arm. That was the first thing that happened. Uh -huh. He broke his arm, right? And during... I don't know if he broke it, but he definitely injured he, it and needed surgery. It well, might have been a break. I'm well, not 100% sure. He tore the shoulder out. Yeah, He, he tore was, his shoulder out? Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. He tore his shoulder out. And during surgery, and again, correct me, guys, if I'm wrong here. Uh, and during surgery, he, they, he, he, it was a staff infection. Staff infection. It was, it was like toxic shock, basically. It, they so, said that's what they said in the interview. Toxic shock. It was a rare staph infection in the wound, yeah. in the shoulder. So yeah, during that time, they said that his temperature went up to like 106 degrees. Over 106. Yeah. And you know, it's something I never. I mean, I've heard that idea before. And it makes perfect sense. I guess when your body goes 10 degrees hotter than it normally is, well, actually 8 degrees hotter than it normally is, um, it can burn your brain up, I guess. It, it can cook your right. brain to a point. And that's the main the, the thing that happened with Mike Von Erich when he came out of this, when he finally got somewhat healthy. Uh, he wasn't the same person. His brain wasn't the same. And he never re really was what he was before, which to point out, and this is no disrespect towards Mike, but trying to put him up against David Von Erich, Kerry Von Erich, and, and, and Kevin Von Erich, he didn't, he, he was per constantly in their shadow. Those three guys were superstars. They really were. And Mike just didn't have that, that charisma. I, I watched some interviews with him today, and he's a lot like me on this show. He stumbles over his words. <laughs> he, <laughs> he's, he, he adds a lot of you knows and whatever's to his sentences. And, and watching him, I'm like, well, he's, a, he's obviously a great athlete, but he just didn't have that charisma that, that uh, Carrie or Kevin or especially David had. So He didn't have it before the, the surgery incident. And then after he was, people were saying that he was just like barely himself, just a shell of a person at that point. So I don't know the exact story of what happened with Mike, but I mean, we do know that he commits he committed suicide, uh, and th th I think it was a, he overdosed on drugs. Am I correct? 
That's correct, yeah. Okay. And, I mean, obviously, the main reason, I think, is because it was because of depression. He just felt... He, yeah. I, and I know one of the things that was mentioned is that he talked a lot about how he missed David. He really missed his brother David a lot, and he wanted, you know, that was one thing that they said... I don't know if it was in a suicide note or something like that, but that was one of the points that was made is he really missed his brother David. So, okay, so that was Michael. I mean, so... <laughs> And, you know, it's like I hate to try to like itemize this and sound like I'm itemizing it, but that's the right. only way I can really do this. There's just so many. I mean, it it does speak to how immense the tragedy is of every single one of these family members that it's just like one after the other. Yeah. And it was weird to write this article because it did feel like a laundry list at a certain point where it was like, okay, surgery, then a bad thing, and then a drug overdose, and then the next one. And it's just like one after the other. Yeah, yeah. Now, the next one in line, <laughs> I don't know any nice way right. to say it, was Chris Von Erich, who was the youngest brother. He was the youngest one. And he, um, yeah, he had brittle bones. He had asthma problems. Um, and he was also, as a result of the asthma, um, I think it was medication he had to take when he was younger. It, st- it stunted his growth. So he was much smaller than the other Von Erich boys. But... He jumped. He he jumped in the ring and gave it his best shot, but he just like Mike. He just didn't have even more on a physical level. He just didn't have what his older brothers had. Um, right. And he also committed suicide, and that was in uh, 1999. I think he shot himself, didn't he? I believe that's I, correct. I think yeah. he shot himself. I mean, I'm. I hate to sound like I'm trying not to like make this sound so clinical, but I mean. I don't know any other way to put the information out there. Um, so sick, I mean, really sad. Now, I know growing up, and I mentioned this to you earlier, uh, Keith, I mean, I think a lot of us growing up who were familiar with the Von Erich family, Carrie Von Erich was, without a doubt, if, if David would have stayed, if David wouldn't have passed away, I think that may have been a different story. But it is where it is, where we, where we were at the time. Carrie Von Erich really was the, the most charismatic and... The most famous Von Erich, I think, of the whole of the whole family. Well, once once McMahon took over the territories, Kerry made that jump. He did to, the Texas Tornado. Yeah, to the WWF. So he had he had the largest push, I guess, on a larger scale. Yeah, you know. Now the story. Okay, well, you know what? I want to hear from you on this, Eric, because you wrote down the fake leg controversy here. I'm re- I'm looking at my notes. Right. Tell me all about this because I haven't heard about this. So, so uh, Carrie Von Eric gets into a motorcycle accident around, uh, let me see, I have this pulled up somewhere, uh, 86. Okay. So um, he basically shatters his entire leg. It's just a mess. Yeah. So they amputate it, uh, and he gets put on a prosthetic. But when he gets transferred to the WWE, or even before that, slightly, uh, they just hide this for many years. Um, that he, ha- he is not, he does not have both of his legs. So he was fully wrestling full matches yeah. with one fake leg. And that is immensely painful. Like the, 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 the kinds of suffering he must yeah. have endured through that on top of then having to lie about it, knowing that he would not get booked in the same way. If the public was aware of this mm-hmm. was just must've been immense. So people didn't know this until after he had killed himself um, that he was working on this fake leg. It was just a total work. The whole, the whole thing was a scam. So it, much in the tradition of wrestling being, you know, a lot about the con, like this was just one big 
trick that they had to play on the audience for a very long time. Yeah. Now, I mean, the one thing that I... Well, before that, though, I want to point out there was some stuff that I heard about when he was in recovery because, I mean, I understand that he had a bike accident. He was, I mean, for what I understand, he was riding a motorcycle like as fast as he could and nothing but a pair of shorts or something. And again, that's just what I heard. That's something I read somewhere. Uh, and that's how, he, sure. that's how he injured his leg initially, right? Uh, they took him, they put him in the hospital, they fixed his leg up and said, okay, you can't even put pressure on this thing for at least six weeks. Bottom line, right. you can't put... So the story I heard was that Kevin came in to visit him and he brought a hamburger to eat, some fast food burger or something. And this may go back to the point you made earlier about these guys maybe not being as intelligent as people made uh -huh. them out to be. Because I get the story I got was, Carrie said, I want a hamburger and just got up and started walking like an idiot going looking for a hamburger. Like, I mean... Call one in. You're Von Eric. I'm sure you could. Somebody will go get right, one for right. you. But he just got out of bed and walked down the lake, put pressure on it, and they said, "Well, now you. I mean, for better of a lack of term, you fucked it all up. Now we're gonna have to take. The, we're gonna have to take your leg. <laughs> that's it. Bottom line. And that's where we get to the point where you talked about where he was wrestling on a fake leg. Now, from what I understand with Kerry Von Eric, the idea of him even having a fake leg made him not a man. Like, mentally, that's how he felt. He didn't feel like sure. a man. He felt like nothing. There was just, I'm not a man. I can't do this. And I guess one of the things that I heard also about this, I've read, was that he said that he was hearing his, from his brothers. Like, his brothers were calling him. I think, well, let's point out, too, that, that he, was in, he was getting himself into a bit of trouble here. He was having a, he was having problems with drugs. I guess he got caught trying to cross the border with a bunch of stuff in his pants and in his car and whatnot. Right. There was a lot of little stories of him getting into a lot of trouble. And this goes back to what I was mentioning earlier, that there was a lot of cover-ups from what they've said now nowadays about this concerning Kerry Von Erich, that you know his father stepped in and made a lot of things go away to try to protect his reputation and not tarnish it and keep him you know in the hearts and minds of people in a positive way um i think also like much like a lot of pro wrestlers throughout the history of pro wrestling yeah you know you get injured a lot you get on painkillers and then you can't get off so whatever you know if he's hearing voices if you want to believe it's Super, from a supernatural position, sure, but like, well, yeah, that's just know, what I you heard. You can go into like a full psychosis from morphine or something like that and start hearing things. And I'm with you on that. I think, I mean, I pointed that out that that's something that he was telling people, and most likely it was something induced by the drugs he was taking. I agree 100% sure. of that. I don't think there was anything supernatural about it at all. Uh, so, um, unfortunately, that was 1993, I think. Yeah, it was a uh, 93. Um, he did this on his father's property. <laughs> I yes. guess he, he drove his, he, he went over by one of the ponds, from what I understand. And, man, you talk about a hard way to put yourself down. He, he and I, I hate to sound so morbid, and, again, I don't want to sound clinical about this, but he put a shotgun to his chest. No, no, it was his, the 40, it wasn't it the 44 that he gave his dad for it was a forty-four for a present. I well, it might as well have been a shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what it was. I don't know. My, I'm not up on my firearm. It yeah. was, <laughs> but I, I believe he shot himself yeah. with the gun he gave his father as a gift. Oh my god! I think that's the story. Yeah, 
Um, so, and I did watch an interview with, with Jack Atkinson about this, Fritz von Erich, and he talks about finding his son, finding Carrie. He's like, oh, no, not literally. You know, you think about that. He's already had one, two, three, four deaths, four sons he's lost. He only has two left. And then he, I, I, I did see an interview with him a couple of years ago where he was talking about this before he passed away, of course. And he's like, I was just driving along and I saw something there and I said, oh, no, not again. No, no, not my, not another son. You know, you can only imagine what this man went through. Mr. Atkinson, um, Fritz von Erich, uh, and his wife, too, of course. Uh, I mean, this is just, this whole thing just is confusing to me. I mean, and I mean, I thought about this today about why something like this would happen. Why? Because the only one that's left now is Kevin Von Erich. I want to point that out too. Kevin Von right. Erich, he lives in Hawaii now, I think, and he, you know, he has a business with his wife, and he has his sons wrestle. Uh, I've seen some really great videos of Kevin kind of resurfacing for fun, you know, jumping back in the ring and giving someone the iron claw and shutting them down. Um, I know um, Lacey Von Erich was the daughter of Carrie Von Erich. She wrestled in two, until 2010. So there still are, the you know, a third generation out there of Von Erich's wrestling. Or, or yes, have wrestled. and Roth and uh, Marshall actually, like, within this year in 2019 – they were signed to, I have it in my notes, <laughs> was it Ring of Honor? No, MLW, MLW. Uh, which is like a fairly prominent, smaller indie wrestling federation. I mean, not so indie, it's like a major corporation, but it's smaller than WWE. Yeah. But um, so they'll, they're going to be like fairly prominent stars back in the day. And it's sort of like, you know, the reputation of their family is sort of at stake. And yeah. it's it's got a lot of drama behind it to see them return. And yeah. and I'm sure, like, the most cynical amongst us are like, are they just asking for trouble? <laughs> what if they get injured again? This yeah. family has a history of mental health problems. Yeah. Is a career where you're subject to brain injuries fairly regularly necessarily the best idea? But it's sort of in their blood. It's kind of their destiny. Yeah. So, I mean... Where we come to now with this thing is, as I said, there's only one brother left. And he's kind of been the, the mouthpiece of this family ever since then. Uh, and, I mean, my only question I have is why. Now, they call it the Von Erich curse. I know it, 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 spooky connotations and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, and I can only go by the things I've read and the things that I've watched on documentaries and whatnot. Um, I, think the, I think the key ingredient to why... This whole thing turned into a shit show, basically, was pressure. I think it all was just pressure. You know, and I think Mr. Atkinson, their father, Fritz von Erich, I think he only, from what I saw him, he, he really wanted the best for his family, right? But I think, in essence, you know, as a result of that, him pushing his sons and pressuring them and wanting them to be the best and wanting his family to be this shining star in Texas, I think he made the whole thing in a lot of ways self-combust and those kids just couldn't deal with it anymore. And it started with an, you know, it started with just this innocent death of his youngest child and then an innocent death presumably of David. He was just sick with something and it just seems like it snowballed from there where these the rest of them cuz three of them committed suicide. Right, I mean, yeah. I mean, three of them committed suicide. You had two natural deaths, let's well, accidental deaths, and then one semi-accidental death, and then three suicides after that. Um, I mean, is it pressure? I mean, I'm curious to know what you think about that, Eric. What, what you think may have? Why did this? Why the hell did this happen? 
So I do think pressure is a huge part of it. And I think, you know, like the, the drama of having your father be the one that like is you, you feel like you have to carry on his sort of inimitable legacy. And then the drama of, you know, the wrestling world and all these people looking at you all the time and, you know, the pressure of being an international celebrity. But I do like pro wrestling as a history has, has a lot of blood on its hands. Um, there's, especially now that we know more about what brain injuries do to sort of people's mental health, Yeah, you know, we can't say that this is an exactly safe way to entertain people. Like the, the way the, the, the situation with Chris Benoit proved that these brain injuries add up and they can cause all sorts of horrible, horrible things on top of drug addiction that is caused by pain. Um, so, so I think it's, you know, a combination of real pressure, uh, you know, co- considerable amounts of injuries weighing on top of each other, brain injuries, drugs. Yeah. Um, I, I'm surprised it hasn't come up before because this is a, a ghost podcast, but there is one supernatural explanation for the curse that's become sort of the apocryphal story. Do you know this, Kale? No, that, that, I'd like to hear it. So I pulled the passage in preparation for this. <laughs> so this is from... Um, uh, David Schumacher's book, The Squared Circle, Life, Death, and Death in Professional Wrestling, which is like an excellent, excellent sort of overview of the most legendary deaths in pro wrestling and okay. how they came about. Uh, so this is a story that I read from this book. So uh, here's how it goes. All right. David Schumacher writes, there's a crazy apocryphal story about Fritz sitting in the dressing room in Chicago after a card. Bear with me on this. It was late. The rest of the wrestlers were busy taking down the ring. A small man appeared at Fritz's door and asked him about his service in the war. Fritz gruffly told the guy to go away. When the man persisted, Fritz told him it was an act, a gimmick, and the man wondered aloud if Fritz knew that gimmick was a Yiddish word. Fritz and the man went back and forth a few more times, with Fritz getting increasingly frustrated with the man's quiet insistence that Fritz realized the gravity of his offensiveness. Finally, Fritz threatened the man one last time, and the man rolled up his sleeve to expose the tattoo that proved him to be a survivor of the Holocaust. He told Fritz that he'd lost all seven of his sons in the death camps, and here's where it gets good. He said ominously that he sincerely hoped nothing like that would ever happen to Fritz. Oh Atkinson God. went pale and tossed the man out of his locker room, running him into the doorframe, cutting his arm and tearing his coat, from which fell a scrap of cloth with a six-pointed star imprinted and a few drops of the man's fresh blood. By the time Fritz looked up, the man had vanished. A locker room attendant watched the scene from the shadows and recovered the, the patch from the trash can after Fritz left. left. Of course, the wrestling world is a world of mythology, and even the real-life side of it is filled with its own myths and legends and tall tales. Mm-hmm. But this story stands out not just for its allegory, but for its angle. Almost all of wrestling fables are written by its historical victors. Rarely do you hear tales in which the player, Fritz in this case, isn't depicted in a good light or doesn't have something to gain by its retelling. To be sure, this isn't a widespread story, but its very existence is telling. As hard as he would try over the rest of his life to script reality to suit his fantasy, Adkinson would never wholly succeed. Wow. So there's your yeah. spooky ghost explanation. Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of, you know, like, like Shoemaker points out, wrestling is filled with all kinds of strange superstitions and legacies and stories and mythologies. But uh, a Jewish ghost cursing a man for sort of making light of the Holocaust 
with his act having never actually survived any kind of war, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a superstitious person, this is not so unbelievable of a tale. Yeah. It's, it, and that's, well, and that's why we go back to this. That's where I was kind of like, okay, what was the reason for this? Because a lot of people do call this the Von Eric curse. And honestly, I have never heard that story before, Eric. That's the first time I've heard that. I didn't even know there were. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, I think there may be some weirder elements to this thing. But honestly, my take on it simply was, okay, this was a family. While I think there was a lot of love in this family, there was. I, it was clear to me there was a lot of love between those brothers. I think there was this pressure weighing down on them all the time. And then there, and then what became this massive legacy these guys had created, this this dynasty they created, basically. And when you couldn't live up to that, what are you going to do? What, right. how, do you, how do you live? But, it's everything to you. But it it brings up an interesting point about like you know I'm I'm very interested in the supernatural and not necessarily from a spiritual or superstitious place, but from a sort of metaphorical place. So. Okay. If we are going to agree that this family is cursed, which it certainly seems like they are, yeah. perhaps the curse is simply just sort of a metaphor for the trauma that they faced of losing a young kid to this freak accident and then compounded with the pressure of the industry, compounded with, you know, like the trauma of the Holocaust even and the legacy that their father was sort of taking advantage of. And if we are to say that, okay, you know, ghosts aren't real maybe the ghost itself is sort of a metaphor for all of these other horrible things that sort of plague the family. I, I think that's a good point. And, Eric, you mentioned earlier you referring to wrestling as an extension of carny culture. And I think that's an important distinction to make. If you, you, know, if you think of you know, the carnival back in the day, that was like a traveling bubble. You know, it was yeah. it was separated from the surrounding world. And, there, you know, the people in that in that industry, in that lifestyle, that that encompassed their entire lives, and right. and wrestling is very similar. Where you know you have these guys on the road most days out of the year, you know they develop their relationships within the industry. It's also a, a you know a separation from the surrounding reality, and you know where they develop their own their own language, their own terms, their own values. And I think that you know this curse as a metaphor. You know that living in that bubble, the the industry takes on its own mythology and its own psychology. How how people react to crisis, how people react to tragedy, how people develop relationships, and and you know it's it's in this traveling bubble. So when you start to introduce, sure. you start to introduce these tragedies and these these um, traumas. You know how people react to them. It's it's in the context of this this lifestyle that they all share that is really strange and unique. You know, it's kind of like a, if you look at people in the military, they have a very a very clear protocol for how to live and how to behave. It's very similar in, in an industry like wrestling where you're separate from the outside world and you spend most of your time inside that mythology that you've created. And there's a sort of trauma bonding that goes on, like in with soldiers where you're watching your friends and family just get physically hurt all the time. So your, your emotions about the wrestling industry are so intense. Um, and, and you feel very bonded to people. So if one of them commits suicide, 
you know, like the risk of other like suicidal contagion is a real thing. And so it just becomes more likely that the people around you will commit suicide. And when you're in this sort of tight knit family that is under this immense pressure, you know, suicide just seems like even more of an option with each one that happens. That's and if that's not a curse, then what is? That's right. That's right. And there's and there's a an honor code that underlies yes. the the I entire think, industry. I think that's what this whole thing's about. Yeah, and so the honor code yeah. essentially dictates how you respond to these kind of things. You know, if you I mean right. you know, if if you think about the you know, how everyone responded to the Chris Benoit story and even before they knew the details of what had happened, when the WWE did a, a tribute show the next day or whatever they did you know everybody everybody seems to react and respond in a very pro you know it's almost like a protocol everybody has a very similar response to what's happening and i and i yeah they fell in rank to protect each other yeah and i and i think that's a result of of that that honor code and just that that shared experience in such a in such a partitioned um, industry where you know that's your reality yeah. and uh, so yeah the when when something tragic happens in that kind of context you know it's almost like there's a you know there's a protocol for how you respond to something like that sure Man. but it's it, you know it and that's what i was thinking of too going back to that was this idea of you know maybe like metaphorically like you're talking about eric where this curse may have been a curse that was they brought on themselves more or less? I mean, it did. Maybe it started with that innocent death of that young child, but I think once they got into the industry that they were in, again, this pressure, this push. You had the father. One of the things I heard, uh, I when we were reviewing today a little bit, was that they would have meetings and they could, they as a family, they'd have meetings about business, right? And yeah, if Jack disagreed with them. He had a different opinion, and there'd be the however many boys out in front of them and the wife, right? Uh, he would say majority rules, and I'm the majority, right. and that'd be the end of it, right? Um, right. I think there was love in this family. I really, I know there was love in this family, but I of do. Of course, know, yeah. I think that 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 Mr. Ackerson he ruled with an iron fist, though, too, and I think that created an you know an environment of what we're talking about here, this pressure, like I have to perform, I have to be as good as my brothers. I, I am a, I'm a Von Eric. This, there's no other way. If I can't succeed, then I'm just going to, what else? What I'm nothing. If I don't succeed here, Carrie, in my opinion, performed if is good, if not better before and after the, the prosthetic leg. I didn't know about that when I was younger. I learned about that when I was older, and I couldn't tell. Sure, he was just as bombastic. He was he was in the shape of his life. He looked great. He was he was charismatic. He was out there doing it, and he still wasn't happy. He was making history, and he still wasn't happy. And he killed himself. And it was just the whole thing, really, to put a cap on it. It, it really is sad because I mean, that's my that was my. There's a reason we're here because the Von Erichs really were my favorite wrestlers. There was just something about mm. all these boys, like all these brothers out there kicking the shit out of people every weekend. I thought that was just so cool for some reason. These American boys out there just doing it right. Well, that's the mystique they were trying so hard to protect. Yeah, that yeah, you know that that again back to that you know all American boy. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved their purity. 
you know they were yeah. these they were these great you know homegrown grass-fed american boys you know everybody loved them and there was a dark underbelly for what for whatever reason for whatever for reason. whatever reason I mean, you talk about the honor code like i said when i was talking to these industry people wrestlers historians whatever and they were like look the story about the von erics being noble and virtuous and kind-hearted it's all bullshit <laughs> and i would ask can i quote you on that and they would say absolutely not like oh. i will not put my name next to that because yeah. they don't want to be the one to blow up that mythology about them no and maybe maybe it is better just left the way it is for some people right. I, mean, I think we all know better if you, you you don't have to spend that much time digging and it isn't like you're having to go into some like some hall underground with secret records to discover this information it's out there you can right. go on youtube and watch it and there's there's a handful of documentaries that tell you i'm 10 minute documentary you can learn that these guys were not the all-american boys that people said they were right right you know does that make them bad people i don't think they were bad people i think they may have had their demons and their issues along coupled right. with the pressure they were under with their with within their family um but uh, yeah they they did have their they did have their dark side i think and that you know am i going to go on some mission to expose that no but i think no it's it's i want to understand what the hell happened to these poor people because they're i think i'm I, also thinking about like you know the the intergenerational pressure of the father being the one that's in charge of their careers like there, there's a there's a thing in inside the wrestling industry where everyone has a sort of wrestle dad, and it's the the man usually who kind of took the younger wrestler under their wing and kind of showed them the ropes of the business, how to get booked and basic moves, and you know the etiquette, the secret sort of etiquette. Yeah, but what do yeah. you do when that wrestle dad is your real dad? Yeah, you know, like it's it's just a whole other element, and a lot of times the relationships between these wrestlers and their wrestle dad are they're they're not really like i i can't call them abusive because it's all consensual but there's a lot of physical violence in some of these relationships where in the training if the wrestle dad gets angry they'll stiff the kid you know like this is not an uncommon thing so it's not the violence of the industry of, of course it's all quote unquote fake but there's real violence in there that that makes me think of Stu hart and um yeah, food, notoriously for a, a very stiff trainer who had all those boys that, um, yeah, I imagine growing up in that environment where you're trying to, you know, become your dad, but he's, you know, become your dad as a professional, but he's still your real dad. And those those, right. those lines had to blur and get very strange and confused. Well, and I, and I, think, yeah. I think with any of these things, too, Probably with the Von Erich boys, these guys were superstars. They really were. Even at their, right. even the weakest ones in the family were still superstars. They had the totally. name. They were Von Erichs, right? But I think you had, yeah, there is that weird line. Like uh, you have a mentor and you have a father. And I think whatever comes along, especially in a sport like professional wrestling, there will always be that machismo thing too, I think, between the father and son. Like, well, you know what? Yeah, so you're Kerry Von Erich. You're the Texas Tornado now. I'm still Fritz Von Erich. Don't you ever right. forget that. I am still Fritz Von Erich. So you're constantly, you know, being not being eclipsed maybe in the press or in the wrestling world, in this case, for example, but in your mind, you're like, I'll never be as good. I'll never be good enough for my father. Right. You have that thing. Like, I'm, it's, your, it's like the Oedipal struggle, but like quite literalized in this moment. It, it Yeah, literalized. So 
and then you take going back to like Chris Von Erich or Mike Von Erich, right? They they have that same they're in that same mindset, but they they don't have the power to do anything about it. They can't even. Right, they they're just the, not physically equipped for it. Yeah, they're not. They don't have the. They, they can't even do. They can't even try. So how helpless do you feel? And I think that does explain to a certain degree why these guys took the way they did. The, you know, at least Chris, uh, Mike, and Carrie, they took the way they did. Um, just this immense pressure. And God, you know what? Maybe after talking to you, Eric, maybe there was something else in play here. We have no way of knowing, but it's something interesting to talk about uh, or think about, I should sure. say. Eric, thank you so much. I want to thank Thanks you for, for taking the time. Me. I man. love talking about wrestling. I could do it all day. So no, this, this was so is this is so cool. A nice time. You know, the, the thing is, the thing about, about this death and wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> if I only got to talk more about drag, I would have covered my my holy trinity of <laughs> topics I've been up to then. Well, I mean, I mean, I I know a bit about wrestling. I've spent time with it, but I know I needed help with this one. And that's why when I saw your article, I'm like, yeah, this would be cool to talk to you. Go ahead, Keith. What's, what's up? Yeah. Well, just just to kind of summarize everything, you know. You could you probably summarize the just the subtext of wrestling as a whole as that curse, you know. Yeah. When you're looking at you know the dark underbelly of of a fabricated all American you know persona that that takes place across the entire industry below all of I mean right that's become I think the studying the subtext of wrestling has become at least as entertaining as the actual wrestling that's itself. What, that's what for me is oh, for totally. me now. Right. The, the history, yeah, once, getting into it. Once, figure- the, once they broke kayfabe and it all came out and people started to, you know, do all the shoot interviews and and, and um, investigate what's going on in the locker rooms and, and, and behind the scenes, that, that's become as relevant as the, rel- the, the wrestling itself. Yeah. So any of that, that that has a dark connotation or, you know, or any subtext or any dark underbelly that someone is trying to bury in order to, to perpetuate a facade, that in itself could be you know metaphorically a curse yeah i mean it's true and it's funny to me because it's like wrestling so so frequently gets dismissed as this like sort of ludicrous art form that is you know like silly and campy and and completely disrespected and not serious but these people really give their lives for it and it's there's no one i've met in my life more committed to their art except for a handful of drag queens than pro wrestlers. <laughs> well, I mean... Because they're really willing to die for their art, and so many of them do. They have. That's the, true. The Roddy Piper documentary, uh, the one thing I remember that stuck in my head after watching that, it's an excellent documentary, but the one thing that stuck in my head, and he was talking about the drug abuse and the painkiller and the opiate addictions that a lot of these guys had back then and have now, of course, too. He said, listen, man, 350 days out of the year, I was getting my ass kicked every night. I was getting beat up, getting the hell beat out of me every single night. He's like, that's all I knew how to do was wrestle. That's that's the only, I had to feed my family. This is the only thing I had to do. So this is how we got through it. This is how I got through all that. And he was one of the, he did die somewhat young, I think. 
But I still, I think he came out, the, he's one of the few that came out the other end of it, I think, with his brain still intact, where he could actually formulate sentences, and he wasn't killing his family, or he wasn't doing, you know, right. he, he, he wasn't a vegetable, basically, right? Some of these guys are, are so melted down and so burned out from what they did, from all the abuse and the head trauma they took, that, yeah, they, they all they know is drugs now. All they knew is wrestling before, right. and all they know is drugs, man. It's really sad. But, yeah, you're right. right. These guys, a lot of these guys have literally given their lives for this for this for this sport whatever or spectacle whatever you want to call it and i mean yeah we there's a lot of prof- there's a lot of wrestling groups here in detroit where we're at and i've had this conversation with these guys and there's no doubt in my mind the dedication these guys have to it this is what right. they're truly passionate about and how can you fight somebody on that i mean something they love right. to do and they're doing there's something right. very very tragic about it but there's something very touching about it too yeah yeah well they want to entertain people i mean yeah, and that's the only way they don't entertain people. So you know, it's 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 there's nothing bittersweet about the Von Erich story. I mean, I really, it's a sad story. There's no happy For ending sure. to it. You got Kevin Von Erich out there, who you know he still is happy to talk to people, and he's a great man, I think. But there, it's it's really to me one of those truly tra- It's a tragedy of what happened to these guys. And I mean, let's pray that Ross and Marshall do not succumb to the family's curse. They can see a good exorcist or something. <laughs> but uh, I I really hope the best for them, and I I'll be watching their career because they have such a history behind them, and maybe they can sort of free free themselves from this intergenerational curse. But yeah, uh, I I can only hope that they'll be able to sort of restore the glory to their family's name. I agree on that. Thank you again, Eric. Ghostly <laughs> Well, that was interesting. Yes, for you and Keith, because you love wrestling. Well, I don't, we're not and big wrestling fans. Yeah, you watch it. Like on TV, and no, I no, I don't. The, Every once in a while, we watch it just for a no, goof. Sometimes like, I come classic the, wrestling, yeah, and I'm old like, school. Why are you well, and that's what we're talking about: so is old weird. school wrestling. We're not like you I know, know the I outcome. I don't even know what that new stuff is. I have no idea. Maybe what, okay. So we got a little disillusioned with monster trucks. Maybe we gotta bring bring it back. We gotta start watching wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The themes, the themes of this show are getting more and more weird. Isn't there some kind of de- local local wrestling matches we can go to? Well, our friend Justin, yeah, who joined us, who just joined a hot us, second ago, yeah, just a second, yeah, just a hot second ago, literally, um, he was a wrestler. And when I was kind of thinking about you know doing a show like this, which I knew was going to be kind of you know off the beaten path of what we normally do here on Ghostly Talk, uh, my friend Justin. Uh, was one of the first people I thought of to talk about the Von Erichs with. So he was nice enough to come by here in the studio and have a really cool conversation with us. And that's what happened. Enjoy. Ghostly Talk! So we talked to Eric Shorey about the Von Erich curse, who wrote, who wrote that really cool article. You said that you were checking out his YouTube station, it's too. It's wonderful. What's it, what's it it's going to make me interested in wrestling, maybe. Because it's drag queens talking about wrestling. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Although Eric isn't in drag. He's the only one just in like jeans and t-shirt and hat. And then there's a bearded man in drag. And then a more glamorous guy in drag who does not have a beard. I haven't had time to... And they sit and review wrestling. wrestling. <laughs> That's super cool. I know. And <laughs> his knowledge of the, the subject last week was pretty, it was pretty impressive as far as that. However, this week though, 
See, I want to do this, as I mentioned, probably earlier in the liner or whatever with the show. I mentioned that I was going to do, like, I want to talk to a couple people about this subject. And I'm lucky that I just happen to know, I have a very good friend um, who is a wrestler himself, who's actually lives local close. <laughs> He's making a muscle right now. Uh, who's lives close enough here that you were able to come by, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for, yeah, you got right off of work and came here. I know this is kind of a hard run for you to get here, so I appreciate you taking the time to come visit us, man. I appreciate the invite. It's great to be here, guys. Now, I've watched you with great pleasure over the years uh, with the, the band The Bumpin' Uglies used to play in, which I, okay, I Amber, I have to tell you this story, because this is one of my favorite things of playing music in my entire life. Justin used to play in a band called The Bumpin' Uglies, which which quickly became basically a wrestling band. Like you, I mean, I, I mean, you can explain this better than I can. Just explain this real quick so we can set this up. Yeah, I mean, uh, it evolved from a, I guess your standard run of the mill uh, Detroit flavored punk rock yeah, band. Yeah, very uh, good stuff too. By uh, the way, we'd be we're all huge wrestling fans, and uh, uh, my brother and I, at simultaneously at the same time, we're actually training to become wrestlers. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And then Amato really started writing songs yeah. uh, about wrestling. Uh, and then we, we just, so we, it started with writing songs about it. Then it was like, well, you know, what could, what could, what could we do to set ourselves apart from the pack? You know? And it was like, well, yeah, let's incorporate wrestling into the shows, you know? So it, it yeah. started with, you know, like having a few bad guys come out here and there and interrupt the show and, you know, hit us with chairs and yeah. And by the end, it was we had a full, we had a referee and yeah. like a full stable of uh, nemesis and yeah. we had lots of, uh, Big wrestlers that came and you know appeared at the shows over the years, yeah. like guest starred and stuff. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a good, it was a good run. So. so, with that setup, now I have to tell one of the greatest things I've ever seen happen on a stage in my entire what I would loosely refer to as my musician's career, and I say that totally in quotes. So one night, somehow my old band MFPS got booked with with you guys and another band called the Motor City Burgers. Rest in peace, uh, Mr. Pants. Pants. Yeah. yeah. One of the funniest people I really have seen. I watched that guy, and I don't want to go too far in the weeds with this, but there's so many funny things attached to this. And this is going to really probably, whatever, I don't care. Uh, we played with the Motor City per Burgers before that, and I watched Mark Pants eat a sandwich out of his ass during the entire set. He had a sandwich <laughs> jammed in his ass, literally, and in between songs he'd take a piece of meat out and eat it and just sitting there smiling, and we were sitting there just dying. Like Some of the people are like, I can't deal with this. I'm like, no, this is awesome, right? So somehow we got on a bill with, with you guys and the Motor City Burgers, and I think you guys played, and then the Motor City Burgers played. I think, but I don't know if, the, it may have been that, it don't really matter. It, all that matters is that the Motor, the Motor City Burgers are playing, and here comes the Bumpin' Uglies on stage, and this is at the Emerald Ballroom in Mount Clemens here in Michigan here in Mount Clemens. Remember that? Uh, you remember yeah. this one, right? It's, it's coming back to me yeah. now. Yeah. We're sitting there just watching the Motor City Burgers play. Great band, enjoying their show, and here comes the Bumpin' Uglies on stage, and they beat the living shit out of the Motor City Burgers. I'm talking like, pick, like body slamming these guys on the stage, and they totally just destroyed the band. And then you got there, you're like, don't you, don't you talk shit about Bob the Ugly, and you ran off the stage. <laughs> We're sitting there dying. And I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. It was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen happen. And, you know, and everybody was cool. I mean, it was, it was wrestling. I mean, everybody yeah. was cool. It was totally awesome, man. I yeah, just, it was awesome. One of my favorite things I've ever seen happen on the stage. So, you know, we, we have a history together. So when I was talking about or wanted to talk about the Von Erich curse on the show, you totally came to mind. And I, th I think I got right with you and said, hey, man, I know you're in the biz. 
would you want to chat about this? You know, what do you think about, um, you know, talking about this thing, which we're here. So you obviously agreed to it. So now I know I mentioned this, you know, a week ago. I know growing up the, the Von Erichs for me, they, they were just in a, you know, you got five boys out there. Well, I mean, technically four boys uh, that were wrestling full time at one time. And they just had this dynasty going. It was just this thing that kind of enamored me. I mean, Kerry Von Erich especially. I mean, I think he was uh, unarguably the most the, the most popular of the troop there was Kerry Von Erich, uh, the Texas Tornado. Uh, so I used to, used to look at my magazines and just look at these guys because they were all just built like brick shithouses. Uh, and they just had this all-American thing to them. Uh, you know, and just so on, right? I was just totally obsessed with them. And then coming back to this stuff uh, years later, um, and just trying to understand what happened to these kids, right? Uh, and then you start reading about the curse and stuff like that. I wanted to hear what you thought about this type of thing, like what your thoughts are, what's your thing, what, you know, because you grew up, you were, you were way more into this than I was growing up. So I'm wondering what you thought about that. Well, honestly, the when I was a kid, like me and my brother and stuff, the Von Erics up until – Kerry came to the WWF at the time. Yeah. Was kind of like, we knew about him from rest from magazines, like you said, you know, and like, uh, we had a cousin, my cousin, Dave, yeah. shout out Dave Fink. Um, that was more into like the NWA yeah. and like off, you know, what we used to call off brand wrestling. Yeah. NWA, AWA, yeah. stuff like that. And yeah, he, yeah. he like, you know, might've had some tapes and stuff, but it really wasn't a big, I didn't get, wasn't well versed on the Von Erichs like their work, yeah, and the history of their work until I was already starting in the business in the nineties. So yeah, when I was yeah. a kid, it wasn't you know like I knew again knew who they were, yeah, but their TV wasn't really syndicated up here at, no, at the it wasn't. time. You know, I and I remember growing up, and you're right, there was like because you had like WWF, which was like this grand day that kind of and you know you can go and find the history on that how they just kind of ate up all the territories. But you did have the NWA, the AWA, you know, those two especially. Those ones, I was very enamored by those because they, they were the alternative. I shouldn't say alternative, but they were – you could tell they were a little bit lesser budget. The crowds, you know, that's what used to kind of blow my mind about that when I was young was you'd have these two guys just tearing each other's heads off in this ring and there'd be like 20 people. Yeah. That's it, like 20 people yeah. in the studio, uh, you know, freaking out, totally into it. But I'm like – well, you know, WWF has like a thousand, two thousand people, and I, maybe that's what kind of made me want to watch NWA and AWA wrestling more because they, I think I thought it was more like more underground and stuff like yeah, that, right? It, and it was, yeah, it, it, to some degree, but at the same time, they were selling out arenas, but you wouldn't know that from their TV shows. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, you totally yeah. wouldn't. You totally wouldn't. And the Von Erichs now they were a big part of that stuff. So it was, it, it, you know, I think when we got cable. Was when I was, you know, and this is all kind of foggy growing up because I did see some of this stuff. It was harder to watch, obviously, than than WWF because that was on network TV and major network TV. But when we got cable, you'd kind of go out into the nether regions of the cable box. You were able to pick up the uh, you yeah, know, NWA sure. and AWA stuff, right? So that's where I did discover the Von Erich family. I remember seeing Kerry uh, Von Erich wrestle, and I'm like, man, this guy's badass. And, you know, he's just tough-looking dude. And then I find out there's three other brothers out there doing this thing. You know, and, I again, this thing with the with the deaths and the, and the curse and stuff like that didn't really come to me until, like, you know, 10 years ago. Like, oh, my God, they all died. I mean, I didn't even know – because, you know, you don't – follow everything yeah. and then kind of coming back to it again this year i'm like whoa dude like 
there's something really weird here, right? Now, and I know we talked today for a minute, and one of the things we talked about was, and, and Eric mentioned this too, and this shows you how, like, ignorant I am on this whole thing, because Eric's like, well, you know, there is this weird, you know, I, I know you guys talk about weird stuff on here. Uh, there is this weird tie-in, right? And, I mean, I kind of typed this, I, 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 I copied this thing out about this actual curse, because now, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, I'm going to try to, like, just ad-lib all this. Fritz von Erich, as we know, the father, he had one, you know, obviously it was his, his that wasn't his real name. His real name was Jack Atkinson, mm. and Fritz von Erich was the stage name. We talked about this last week, and he was a Nazi sympathizer, basically. You could pull that shit off in the 50s. Right? He was an actual Nazi. Yeah, he was I mean, a Prussian was, Nazi he, he, yeah, soldier, that, or an officer. Yeah, I should say, shit. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what the... Excuse me if I, I don't know. Am I allowed to curse on you? You are. No, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, you're totally fine. Because I, I, I So I thought that was actually just, that was his, like, character stick, but he was well, actually no, no, a real no, Nazi? No, no, that, no, 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 his character was a real Nazi. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fritz von Erich, the character, to clarify. Yeah, I said he I said he was a sympathizer. That's not true. He actually played... A Nazi. Okay. Right. But, but in real life, he no. wasn't. Okay. From okay. Texas. All yeah. right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can say Fritz is a good old boy from Texas. Yeah. Okay. Jew at Texas. Now, so. one thing I don't think we talked about yet, though, was his, Fritz's grand, well, Fritz's father. And I forgot his name. Uh, but I have heard about this story. And, and if you want to jump in, feel free. This just, and this just kind of blew my mind when I heard it. Uh, Fritz's grandfather was a sheriff. And. What he would do, his son, Fritz was obviously his his son, he would take his son down down to the city, the little town square, and he would f- have his son fight. Fritz would just fight with other kids. Yeah, him and his, I think his, his brothers too. His probably. brothers too, yeah. yeah. And they would fight, and their fathers would bet money. They'd have money out there, and these guys would bet like they had like like dare I say like you know I think it's just as equally as disgusting like a dog fight or something like that. Say like 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 cockfighting, cockfighting with your kids, yeah. with your kids, kids right? That would be and that, the, just, that, that, that would not work today. Yeah. That level got to make them hard, man. Got to make these kids hard. They want them to be sissies. That level of fucked upness, just I don't know why that just messed my mind up. It blew my just blew me away that like. A father would do that to his kid. I understand the idea of rearing and and um, you know trying to toughen your kids up. I, mean, I think we, I think any good father would do that. But to actually have your child fight and like bet money on it, you know, going back to the curse thing, um, that attitude that Fritz or Jack carried over. I think you know there's a lot of reasons, and I've tried to think about what the hell happened with this family. You know, and there is the story I'm going to talk about here again. I'm going to mention again. Um, but just hearing all these real-world things that happened around this guy and how he was raised, uh, it, it kind of fleshes out really quick <laughs> to me. It isn't all that. And I know this is a weird stuff paranormal show, but this is a super interesting story, though, too. And when I hear that stuff, I'm like, dude, no wonder these kids all just <laughs> they couldn't deal with that shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, it's sad, but however, going back to the whole the you know, the Fritz von Erich thing, um, let me just look at this. Uh, the Nazi aspect of the, of the von Erich gimmick would fade into the background as his sons became one of the most beloved athletes in the sport. Right? Um, whose phone was that? I thought I heard a phone. Never mind. Um, he told Fritz. Now, I'm going to go back here. In the most widely disseminated version of the spooky tale we're talking about, uh, Shoemaker explained, many people believe a ghost of a Holocaust survivor put a curse 
Anna Ekesen, a.k.a. Fritz von Erich, as revenge for making light of Nazism, right? Uh, Eric kind of mentioned this story last week, too, but I wanted to bring it back up. He told Fritz that he'd lost all seven of his sons in the death camps, and here's where it gets good. He said ominously that he sincerely hoped nothing like that would happen to Fritz. So this is like the ghost story, they said. And I know Eric mentioned like this thing appeared in a locker room one night. Yeah, and it's one of these stories that uh, I don't think can actually be substantiated. And no, I don't think God, hell no. There's no actual quote of Fritz ever talking about no, it. Himself. No, hell no, hell no. It was, it was written only in one book that Eric mentioned last and week. And this is one of those things that they probably talked to one, one of the boys, you know, which is what we call ourselves in the locker room, you mm-hmm. know, like one of the boys. That's kind of the, the term. Yeah. And, you know, it's in our nature, some guys more than others, to uh, to fuck with people, you know? And it's an easy one. And, and they, you know, an old-timer especially, who I don't know who started this rumor, you know, but yeah, yeah. I can easily, like, having been around many old-timers, you know, over yeah, the, the years, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can easily see, you know, whoever's writing this book or whatever it came from coming to them yeah. for a quote and then... Yeah, well, you didn't hear the story. Yeah. You know, it's just like the classic, you know, like mm-hmm. bullshit, you know. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, totally. You know, you know it, but it goes back. I mean, and to be honest with you, I, I don't think it holds very much water either. I don't, no. I don't think it does. And, and what's important to remember about the Nazi thing is it's easy. People bring that up because it's a, particularly now it's a sensitive thing again. Oh, yes, you know, it it's is. It's brought to the forefront of a lot of people's, you know, thinking right now. Yeah. And, you know, many ways that's. It's good and bad, you know. It's good that people are aware, and it's bad that it's so prevalent, you know. Yeah, but yeah. at the time when Fritz started wrestling, this is the fifties. Yeah, you got to remember that, and this is the dawn of television, mm-hmm. and like there was cowboys and Indians in wrestling, you know, well, Ra- racist black guy gimmicks. Yeah, there's no political correctness. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. wrestling has has always been politically incorrect, and at that time, we're ten years, excuse me, ten Sorry. years outside the war, right? Yeah, yeah. What's the, the the most reviled? They're gonna be the, there's a lot of animosity like, still, and like straight up, like all the Japanese guys were devious bad guys who like sn- who were sneaky mm-hmm. and who pearl harbored you, and they always had Nazi gimmicks. And and yeah, you know Baron von Raschke was another famous. Oh yeah, he, he was the, the, the he was another the Iron, and it was Iron Claw too. He, he used the same thing. He was the Nazi gimmick. Yeah. In, in that version in the AWA territory, exactly. Fritz von Erich was that guy in the. Christ, Texas he even, area of the he South, even duck you know? walked in the ring too before he went to. When, I remember Baron von Raschke, he before he did the claw, he would do a duck walk in the ring. And there were there were many, yeah. In in that era, especially in the throughout the fifties, there were a bunch of guys doing Nazi gimmicks. Yeah, like that yeah. wasn't that you know it was it's kind of it was like at, right now we would call it cheap heat or easy heat, low hanging fruit. Yeah, right? you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like coming out and telling the crowd, "Hey, fuck you!" Like, yeah, they're gonna boo for a minute, right? You know, but at the time, this is you know that was in the hearts again, and minds of people. Yeah, it yeah. was, and it, and this is the dawning of television. It's the dawning of and wrestling was a big part of the dawn of television's growth. You know yeah. what I mean? Like television grew because wrestling was available. Because it was a super easy show to produce. Mm-hmm. They literally had one camera. The local sports guy could do the play-by-play. Mm-hmm. And the the talent in the ring did all the work. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? You just had to put a camera on it. You the, know? the thing with that, you know, I watched one, one of the documentaries on the Von Erich family and WCCW, which was front, Fritz Von Erich. He basically took that over. And that's one of the big things they got into talking about was the production of of these shows. And, yeah, like you were right. They used to just have one stationary camera on the ring and let the wrestlers do their stuff. It's when they started getting into the higher quality stuff, even down to like just some type of you know lettering and production, and then getting another camera, two cameras. So they have one camera on you know on the ring, of course, stationary. But now they had a guy running around the ring, following the action, literally getting up, you know, allowed to stand oh, yeah. up on the ring and look into the ring and stuff like that. That was a big part. That was a big thing, uh, you know, to popularized WCCW, which was... Well, and in Erics. the end, in my opinion, it's probably their greatest contribution to professional wrestling. The Von Erichs? World-class championship. World-class championship. Because yeah. if you look at it, world-class championship wrestling as an entity mm-hmm. wasn't really around that long. No, it was, only, it was like four or five years, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was a hot period. Yeah, you know? very hot. And that's, that's part of what they revolutionized. That's in... That's part of what the WWF at the time definitely took from them mm-hmm. was the arena feel and then getting those cameras right up in there. So, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you like saw everything. Edits, multi-camera angles, mm-hmm. you know, the more involved uh, vignettes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Vern Gagne, AWA, they were the first to have the national syndication. Okay. But World Class also had syndication and then later that production value, which brought that excitement, that, that energy from the live, you know, the... And they, they had a hot territory. Yeah. You know? And, well, and it changed the game, too. And I remember when I was a kid, I'd be like, Mom, Dad, I want to take me to the wrestling show. And they're like, you watch it on TV, you actually get a better view. You're actually right in the ring. Why would you? Why? Because they, no, they're going to buy the nosebleeds, those cheap people. <laughs> no, I mean, but they made a good point. It's yeah. like, well, you know, you watch it on TV, you're seeing it right close up. You're seeing the sweat on these guys, for God's sake. And, you know, I, I unfortunately in, uh, was never able to make it to visit the Sportatorium, but I have been on many shows with guys that have been there. And, yeah. Like, uh, it's a notorious shithole, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> like they make jokes about, oh, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like rats in the nacho cheese. And, oh, like, God. you didn't want to eat the fries there. And, uh, like, all the boys have stories about the place. And I think it only held... Maybe a couple thousand people. Couple thousand people. Like crammed it wasn't in that there. big. It was a sweat hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, it wasn't it was that like, big. Yeah. And where was that at? Uh, I think in Dallas, Texas. That was in Dallas. Oh, okay. yeah. That was yeah. in Texas, Dallas. too. Okay. Yeah, and there's... there's you know, well, it's the been since they knocked it down. They yeah. have knocked it down. There's a doc. One of the docs I did watch recently when the, on the Von Erichs, uh, Kevin, the only surviving Von Erich now, he did go there and they kind of walked through and he's like, yeah, this is where my office was at. And he kind of pointed out all the little things and th- some of the stuff that was still there. It's interesting to see it. And yeah. And then it yeah. got bulldozed. This was when they were preparing to bulldoze yeah. it. And he just got one chance to walk back in there and see the place before they knocked it down. So, I mean, th- no doubt this family had a major impact on the sport. Um, going back to that, the, the tale. Yeah. Who knows what that might be going back into this thing even further though. Just thinking about it again, like, man, what the hell happened to this family? Going back to the, to the, the grandfather story and then just understanding, you know, and that's kind of what I wanted to just do with this, this, these, these, this show was to just kind of explore this a little bit and try to come to some conclusion of what really happened here. With, I guess it was David Von Erich. We know that's a big, that's, there's a bit of controversy with David. Some people say that, you know, he legitimately had a problem with his intestines and it just came to a head when he was in Japan. Other people said that Bruiser Brody found him dead in the room and hit all the drugs. 
those are the two arguments they have, right? Uh, who knows what? Who knows which one it is? I mean, that, that's the two ones that I've heard. I'm sure there's other rumors too. Uh, and then you have Carrie, Mike, Chris. Yeah, Carrie, Mike, and Chris that all committed suicide, and that's the sad one right there. Um, but what I think it may have come down to, and I, you tell me, I, I want to get a final word on this thing too. I think from you, um, my real like gavel dropping. What I think happened here is just simply these boys were put under so much damn pressure mentally, you know. And I think there's something to be said about a father instilling this amount of pride on his kids, making them proud of what they do, bringing them into the business. They learned a trade. It's great, but I think it went too damn far. And these kids didn't feel, because you know Kerry Von Eric's story. He lost, you know, his leg in a bike accident on his own. Well, he, the, the other thing, the other story is that he got his leg messed up. They fixed his leg and said, do not walk on the leg. And he, yeah, did, I think he walked it was more down. that he wrestled on the leg is more the problem. Fritz, it, Fritz made him wrestle like, I yeah. don't know, three weeks out from that. Oh, my God, really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But the thing that really messed him up, though, was not the fact he didn't feel like a man anymore. That's that was the mentality I, I've well, read that he I, had. I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't never met the guy. Yeah, same and, here. Uh, this is all this is all stuff that I've read. I have a hundred percent respect for everything they accomplished. You yeah. know, and what they created in the business. But yeah, you know, Carrie had a a, a well known drug problem. Yeah, and he was going to prison. Man, he had he violated a, a probation. Yeah, it, you know so. You know, I, I think the the greater for me the greater takeaway with the Von Erics mm-hmm. is a typical perpetuating cycle of abuse and negativity, probably starting with the old man with Grandpa. Yeah, because here's you got you got a guy like Kevin is kind of alluded to it in in the interviews. Yeah, that his grandfather was a piece of shit. Yeah, that was very abusive, very Bruce abusive to Fritz, to Jack, mm-hmm. his brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. We already know that he has alluded to the story about. Yeah. You know, making the kids fight. Yeah. He was also known as the, the county hangman, you know. and Yeah, that was the other part, too. And, you know, back, this is this is like pre, you know, uh, you know, Fritz was born in 29. Yeah, this say, is like pre-depression yeah. era, like that, that the old man would have been yeah. slinging people from trees. And in the south, in Texas, in that yeah, era. This, that's pre-civil rights. I mean, that's. You can, ima- like, put two ooh, and two together. Yeah, on, not good. You know what I mean? Right? This is not good, yeah. So. I guess if there if there was an element of a curse, I, I, I'll get I, I would put it on that well, at I, some point. But yeah. I think it's more the atypical, you know, like you like the, Fritz is a victim of this man, but in the end ended up perpetuating the same. I mean, like he didn't yeah. have his kids out there boxing, you know, or in like street fighting, but he had them out there wrestling. You know, seven days a week, yeah, sometimes was, twice a beating, day. And they were beating the hell out of themselves. And, you know, the, and it's also kind of a case of, yeah, that and putting, you know, putting the basically the success of his company all on them, you know, like yeah, all yeah. that all on them. Oh, yeah. Coupled with the fact that these are rich kids, like, you know, Texas rich kids, but they're rich kids mm-hmm. who were given free reign to, like, do whatever the fuck they wanted. And they were young men. Yeah. You know, these are young men in the 80s. Everybody in world class, it's well known, was doing like mountains of cocaine, mm-hmm. drinking, you know. And if you look at it, the Von Eric boys weren't the only casualties of that era. Mm-hmm. 
Gino Hernandez. Yeah. Got, you know what I mean? Like he got like, that was a mysterious one too from what Gentleman I Chris Adams. Yep. You know, like you could go down like they're like they're not the Von Eric boys aren't the only ones who suffered from you know, and, and yeah. that and that was just I think that time yeah. in the Dallas area, it's the mid eighties. They got it's they, part, got, it's they a based, party. They're, they're they're huge celebrities in their in their area. Yeah. Right. They got people that want to be around them, that want to give them drugs. Mm-hmm. The old man isn't paying attention as long as they're showing up and doing their job in the ring. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You know, it, we can't forget the the story. You know, they, they they were there was an older brother, Jackie Jack, Jack Junior. Yeah. yeah, that was know, the one who, who died, died when, he, when he was six years old. Yep, you know, yep. he was the first one. Yeah, and I yeah I I forgot to point that out that there was six boys here, uh, and you know I think what you were alluding to to also here a second ago was this cycle of abuse you mentioned that, you know, I mean, and this may be a little bit more be, be fringe again on this subject, but I do believe in karma to a certain degree. And maybe they, you know, maybe the hens came to roost. I don't know. Maybe it was one of those things too. Like they threw this thing out. And again, I'm not going to start drooling and meditating over this thing, but maybe there was some really shitty stuff done. And maybe this curse could just be that because, hey, I've, I know probably everybody in this room has experienced karma to you know, a very direct degree. It's happened to me more and more, more times than I can count that I've done something shitty and it's come yep. right back on me. So I don't know. I, and, you know, maybe that karma was self-created. Like it's the stuff we've already talked about, you know, this this abuse, this discipline, whatever you want to call it. Well, look. It had a, it had an opposite effect. It didn't make them stronger and more robust and more obedient. It made them more rebellious. Yeah. It made them more crazy. It made them physically strong. It made them physically. Oh, yeah. absolutely. But it made them mentally mushed out because yeah. you know we know what cocaine does to you. I mean, well, we know what physical abuse and just wrestling every night. Th- those two things together, you know as well as I mean, it's a hard you, lifestyle. It's a hard lifestyle yeah. to live. So. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm, I'm kind of we're kind of circling back on this thing over and over again. But it's because, yeah, what the fuck happened here? And we'll never really know. And you know, not. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a dick, but at, <laughs> at my at my, t- at my tender young age of forty three, yeah, and probably more people than I care to admit that who think I'm a fucking raging asshole. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You're like, like the nicest guy I know. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, man. let's be honest though, and look at. At who we're talking about with the Von Eric boys. These are, they're not smart guys. No. Like, like you can look at any one of those guys, and they're like, they, you know what I mean? They're they, the slow kids. You they know were, what I, mean? I like, don't think they were raised, I don't think are, Jack raised them. I, I think. Well, it, even Fritz himself. I mean, if you look at it. No, he, yeah. There's like, you know, maybe a little something in that gene pool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, I may, at the, but like, you can't, like. Yeah. You can look at the faces of the Von Eric boys and see that there's a little something special <laughs> no, they, about them. They, they, well, and I'm you, sorry that, like, I, no. I, I know it's like, no, it's cool. You know, they really were. Uh, Kevin, I always thought, you know, Kevin seemed to be. I mean, I mean, that's why he's the only surviving one. I always thought Kevin seemed to be the one that really. I mean, physically speaking, he didn't seem to be. You never heard about him having drug problems or anything like that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he, I'm, he's and he's admitted he's like, oh yeah, I did it. But I don't think he just went. He, I don't think he went that far like Carrie did, right? I and, th- and that's why it's hard for me to buy the curse because of because yeah. Kevin's a shining example, man. He's had a. I mean, I, f- I feel terrible for the guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. you can't 
that feel for the guy, you know, well, to carry all that. I mean, you're, he, yeah, but, uh, he's carrying but you know, that. like, you know, he has a good life in Hawaii. Oh, you know, yeah, he's yeah. Ra- raised a fan. You know what I mean? Like he's, uh, he's got his sons. I think he's got a couple of kids. Yeah, so boys, that, or... For that reason, it's hard to buy a curse. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, because, totally. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, he hasn't tapped out yet, you know, and no. even at this point, if he did, he's been able to lead a good, I guess. Well, that's all relative. You know what I mean? Like from the outside, you could call it a good life, you know, right. Like, I don't know who, who knows how he feels. You don't know inside, what he's you know? what he's. I don't, yeah, I don't know what he lives with every day. You, you know? don't know what kind of pain he may have. Yeah, I'm sure he does too. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he's he's carrying something a weight. Um, but I've always had respect for that guy, same as you, uh, just for the you know carrying on like he did because he could have just said fuck it too mm-hmm. and said you know what I'm done with this. I don't want to deal. I'm, now look what I have to deal with the rest of my life. Fuck that. I don't want to do this. You know he didn't do that. So ten points to that guy. I think we got to the bottom of this thing. I th- I really think we did. I mean it's an interesting story. It is. It's a bizarre story, um, and it's about people that I looked up to. I know we, you know, we all. I looked up to him. I know you did to a certain degree, also. Uh, you know, and it's it's sad. It bothered me to see. It's bothered me to see anything like this happen. Yeah, it's I mean, a tragic story, man. It's like, a really tragic. Story. It really is. You know? Yeah. So, Justin, thank you so much. Thank you. This guys. is so cool talking to you, man. We haven't talked in a while. I came by that. I came by the massage parlor not too long ago. Uh, and yeah, that was really nice. Thank you. I have to come by there again. Spa. That was, uh, call it the spa. The, I'm sorry. The, the, oh yeah. Oh shit. I'm sorry. You know, I've I've done this before. Now I called our friend Bonnie, is a massage therapist. Uh huh. I called her a masseuse. I don't know. Oh yeah. Ooh. I thought she was gonna fucking stab Ooh, me. The M word. Yeah. Ooh. I called her a masseuse, and I thought she was gonna stab me right on the spot. She's a licensed therapist. She's a therapist. So <laughs> so it's a spa. It is. Yeah. Okay. Sure, I, I got to make sure I get the terminology right. Cause I'm going to get beat up by some rabid <laughs> massage therapist someday. I don't want to do that for sure. But thanks for having me there. Thanks for coming here, Justin. Super appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Ghostly Talk. <laughs> <laughs>